0: Hello, everyone. I'm Dana Stewart Bullock, and this is Transformational Therapeutics. In today's podcast, Rebecca and I will be discussing trauma. I will, of course, start with the definition of trauma and expand from there. Because this is such a vast topic, in today's episode, I will give a more global view. And in a later episode, we will take a deeper dive into trauma and its effects on one's physiology, psyche, and development. So welcome. Hi, Dana. Hi, Rebecca. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. What are we talking about today? Today, we're going to talk about trauma. So let me just say in terms of the definition of trauma, it's defined as a deeply distressing or disturbing experience
1: mm-hmm.
0: or an emotional shock following a stressful event or a physical injury. And it comes from the early Greek, which means wound. Hmm. I wanted to talk about trauma because, particularly now with COVID and everything, we're all sort of suffering our own traumas. Losing loved ones, being locked down, all of the fighting that's happening around vaccines and not vaccines. Post COVID and post vaccine, people have suffered traumatic outcomes.
1: So it it seems to be in the air. Sure. And even losing like financial traumas, losing businesses. There's so many different forms of trauma we've all gone through. I love that you define trauma because I wonder if we use that word a lot these days. What's your opinion on on that? Do we overuse that word? Do we underuse it?
0: That's a really good question. I I think many of us, I don't know if overuse is the way to describe it. I think people don't necessarily understand what it means, and different people will have different definitions of trauma. But I don't think it's being too widely used right now today Mm. because we're all being traumatically affected on so many levels, politically, medically, socially, and job-wise. I mean, anything can be a trauma. It depends on your background and where you're from and how whatever happens to you influences you.
1: Would it be beneficial to use that term personally to like... Just even in what you just said, to identify that our experiences through COVID could have been traumatic.
0: Yes, I think it's really important, not so much to label it in the way that I had talked about labeling in other podcasts, but to identify it as such. Because once you identify something, you can then address it.
1: Mm -hmm. And how does identifying these experiences as trauma help address it? Like, how do you address it?
0: If you acknowledge that what you have experienced has been traumatic, then with that experience oftentimes go physiology that is indicative of having suffered trauma.
1: Mm, How so?
0: Well, depending on the person and depending on the situation. I mean, we've all heard of PTSD, which is oftentimes considered massive trauma. It's oftentimes post-war, but it depends on the sensitivity of the person who is traumatized. And it depends on how you see trauma itself. And again, defining it, back when I was working with this woman who told me that a brain MRI of a child with autism is exactly the same as somebody who has suffered trauma. And that to me was mind boggling.
1: What does that tell you?
0: It was just, you know, there's certain things that drop into my brain and I, and I hang on to. And when I started working with autistic kids, I, instead of seeing them as autistic, I saw them as post-traumatic. Mm. And the approach was, just in changing that definition, the approach changed.
1: For sure. You've mentioned in other episodes, but just in case if someone's listening to this for the first time, you have had great success in working with autistic children, right?
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: And so that was that one of the tools that helped you, one of the perspective changes that helped you?
0: Well, yes, when I changed my perception, because in our culture, autism has around it belief systems that have risen up in terms of how it's treated and how autistic kids are educated and on different levels and how they're seen. And the kids I worked with were young, so their brains were more malleable. And I was able to do research in trauma and then apply the principles that I learned, particularly through the senses and through the anatomy and the physiology, to get changes in kids who were diagnosed on the autistic spectrum.
1: So it's interesting because that information you learned about the MRI helped give you access into seeing autism differently, but it also, I imagine, gives you access to see trauma differently. If someone who's experienced trauma and their brain represents similarly to someone who is autistic, how does that help you in approaching healing them or seeing them or seeing yourself if you have had that kind of trauma before.
0: So having had early trauma myself, this whole model came out of me trying to heal myself. And the reading that I had done and the learning I had done in the area of psychology allowed me to then apply some of those principles to this young autistic child. There's a man named Donald Kalshed, who's a Jungian analyst who wrote a book, was published in 1996 called The Inner World of Trauma. And when I first read it, it had such a profound effect on me because it was describing many of the symptoms that I had from a psychological place. And I had, prior to that, been interested in symbolic language, and I've talked before about how symbolic language in the brain is closely associated with the primitive brain and the limbic system. And Calshed said, and I quote, early trauma has the ability to rupture the symbolic. And that to me meant that particularly early, children with autism, to me, they're early. And if I see them as having had trauma, and and I didn't necessarily define it, I just saw their brains because that woman had told me about the brain scans. I just assumed that their brains were similar. And so I started using symbolic language to access the brain of the child I was working with and when i say symbolic language i mean basically all language is symbolic but what i'm talking about is that's how i've sort of globally expanded my definition of language and its impact and how it's communicated via the the body via spoken language via posture via action i would watch particularly the first child i started working with i would and he was very young it's so funny because i think i see everything symbolically. So I would look at this child, and having done research in different areas, put my hands on his body, and feel what I felt, which to me symbolized the state that his brain and central nervous system were in. So right there is an application of symbolic language, Mm -hmm. that his body was talking to me and telling me the state of his brain and central nervous system. And that came out of Ashley Montague's work on touching and also just my experience with hands-on bodies. Because he did not have speech at the time, I used my physical touch as a form of language to access his brain. Because according to Ashley Montague, the skin is actually the externalization of the nervous system. So I could access his nervous system through his skin.
1: Hmm. And his brain. Yeah. So can you apply these same tools, these same applications to working with someone who's had trauma?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Could you tell us about that? Or what would that look like?
0: So I've spoken earlier about the different sensory systems, the touch, smell, taste, seeing and hearing. And when you have had trauma, All of those sensory systems are impacted, and via those systems, your brain is impacted. And so using those different systems to access the brain and the body is a way of getting in and changing the wiring that trauma causes in someone who has experienced it. And just on a personal level, there are a couple of things I just wanted to say that There's a quote from Toni Morrison, and her quote is about racism. But for me, it was the same as trauma, because racism is a trauma. And she said, racism steals your time. And I found as a survivor of trauma, that time changes how we see time. And the panic and the physiology of someone who has had traumatic experiences changes your perception of time. And panic, to me, has always been speed without rhythm. So there's nothing that breaks up the speed. You're just zooming all the time. Anxiety. Anybody who's had an anxiety attack or something realizes what I'm talking about, that when you're having an anxiety attack, everything is speeded up, and you can't seem to slow it down. You can't insert rhythm into it mm. and timing into it. And so I was talking about the sensory systems, the taste, smell, touch, hearing, and vision, and all of those systems are impacted. The way you are in the world is how those systems are functioning. So you have to have appropriate input into those systems to have appropriate output from those systems. So for instance, if I take a young autistic child and their behavior is typical, You can deduce from that what sort of input they're getting into their system by the output that you see. For me, it was then just a question of changing the input so that the output could change. Mm -hmm. And I would do that visually from a hearing standpoint. I addressed all of the senses. Of course, this is a child, so there's more malleability in the system itself. I have also found that the areas of our brain that interpret symbolic language are so associated with emotional areas that if using symbolism is a way of getting into an emotional state, they cannot be accessed just cognitively. It's a lower, more primitive area of the brain.
1: Can we take the example of something that we all can relate to, like COVID, how we started this episode? And how do we start to address some of our own personal traumas that might have happened over the last year and a half or two years using these concepts, using the model? What if someone did not even occur to them to think of it as trauma? Is that step one, just to look at it, that maybe like what have there been some forms of trauma that I personally have experienced? Well, I think as a
0: human being, uh, I can give you some examples to be, isolated in your home because we are really herd animals can be traumatic. Hmm. Sure. Um, It could be traumatic if you're isolated with the husband you don't like or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's a different form of trauma.
1: We've heard a lot Um, of stories like that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's one. When when I look at things like and, and I'm not coming down on either side. It's just fascinating to me from an anatomical sensory standpoint to have young children with masks on. What does that do to their sensory systems in terms of development? Sure. I don't think we know yet. The isolation of being in lockdown, what does that do? Never mind the major traumas of either having gotten COVID, being hospitalized, or having lost a loved one to COVID, or the, the healthcare care providers who have been exposed to so much trauma. They're really sort of on the front lines of a war. Sure. The trauma of the isolation, the loneliness, the people who were um, the frontline people, anybody who was, it changed what we know. I, I remember when a 9-11 happened and I was in New York City and I had a friend tell me, she said to me, you know, Dana, if you just look at the towers and how they crumbled. It's like our foundation has crumbled, what we've stood on, what we've believed. That was a trauma in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So COVID has has done that also. What we've, what we've stood on, what we've believed, what has kept us going. Everything is shifting now and everything's shifting on the planet. And that can be very traumatic. If we don't have the ability to adapt, that's difficult.
1: Sure. Yeah. There's so many things you just described so how would you go about using the model to help with some of this? Well,
0: for instance after 9/11 when she said that to me, it just made it make more sense to me. It made my my physiology and my anxiety and whatever it's like. Ah, oh, sometimes naming something gives it a meaning that otherwise it doesn't have.
1: Sure, I could feel it in myself as you were describing all of that that oh, Maybe some of the difficulty that I experienced makes sense, and maybe it's okay. Maybe it's okay that I felt that way, because when you li- when you describe it that way, it it makes me realize, oh yeah, we really have all been through something, haven't we?
0: And and we can look at our culture and person, you know, in the United States and and our society, and we're in many ways a first world country and lucky, and think, oh, I shouldn't feel this, but it doesn't matter. I once, when I was in PT school. I love the story. When I was in PT school, there was a, um, a class I had to take on psychology and disability. And the instructor in one of the classes was talking about a man who had come in and he was absolutely devastated. And his injury was that he lost the tip of his pinky finger. And I was sitting there in my judgmental way going, oh, come on. And she tells us this long story about how he came in and he needed to be rehabbed and he was devastated and he was depressed and on and on and on. And at the very end, she said he was a concert violinist. (laughs) It really just woke me up. And so different traumas are different for different people. It depends on your baseline and where you're coming from and what happens to you.
1: And also how... How I mean, calling upon previous podcast episodes, what you how you perceive the trauma would dictate what the trauma is as well. That two people could go through a same traumatic experience and each could walk away with very different results. Traumatic results. One or could be much. One huger. could be
0: very traumatic, and the other one could be not so traumatic, depending on their pre-existing state,
1: absolutely, and their
0: upbringing and many different factors.
1: Absolutely. And how they see that experience, how others would come to them and affect how they would see it. I actually have a story that reflects this, that in high school, I was in a minor car accident with my friend who was driving and we were okay. And I think back to that experience with almost fond memories. It was it was like an adventure. It was a scary adventure, but it was an adventure, and we were we were in it together. And there was the police came afterwards. It was it was a big big or, ordeal, but it was somewhat. I remember it as uh, an adventure that was scary but tolerable. I was having a conversation with my friend recently, and she has a much more traumatic experience remembering that. She was driving, the events that happened later on during the day, it was her car that was affected. There were so many different things that I did not experience, and it was really fascinating for us both to look at that experience through two different lenses, now both of us adults, and then we were, you know, 17, and... um, it's, it's just so fascinating.
0: And what goes along with that is your physiology will be different from hers mm. because she has, on some level, held on to whatever the shock was that she suffered. And you were able to process it because you came from a different place mm. and process it differently. So the long-term effects are different for the two of you.
1: Absolutely. And that's actually in the conversation we were talking about how it affected her driving for a while after that and being afraid of going on certain places and the way it was held in her body so interesting
0: and was she injured
1: i mean she probably had whiplash and who knows what but we not not outwardly yeah
0: so that also impacts that you carry that into your future depending on how you were able to process it or not process it
1: mm. Let's come back to how does the person who's listening to this podcast right now, who's reflecting over their the last year and a half or two years, or however we are in time now, thinking about certain experiences that might have been traumatic for them through COVID, can you offer anything else or is there anything else to share in regards to using the model to help navigate through that? Or how does the, the model impact how they move through that?
0: Well, since we're still in the middle of it, it's really hard. And I, and I think it, the most that can be done is to look for a different way symbolically to see the impact COVID has had on you and to give it some meaning by seeing it differently. Mm-hmm. And that, that sounds so flip, but that's how I deal with any traumatic experience. How can I see this differently? What's the lesson that I can learn from this. Getting out of the space of, you know, COVID is this disease that is attacking us or whatever, just looking at it, what's the message from COVID?
1: Mm.
0: What have I learned? And, And my message will be very different from yours, but how can I use this as a learning symbolically? And I don't know that for everyone because it will have had a different impact on everybody. But but there are multiple layers of learning, learning how to interact with people in, in this situation, learning your response to being whatever uh, role you took during COVID, whether you're a frontline worker or you're just somebody who sat at home or if you're worried about your kid going to school or on and on and on. How can you imagine it in a way that will help you learn something from it? And, and I find that looking at something symbolically, just sort of, if it makes sense to me, it just changes the fear that I might have around it. So so when that woman said to me, Dana, all our foundations have been shaken. It's like, oh, okay, that just hit me. It's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense.
1: Mm. Yeah, how does that hit you? Like, how does that make you feel better?
0: Because there was a lot of physiology that went along with 9-11, and, and anxiety and fear and everything was changed. You know, I was in Manhattan. You know, everything was changed, and there was a there was a powerlessness. I remember back then, a I was going to go volunteer on the burn unit because you know to go give blood, but there weren't any patients, and so everything that I wanted to do to help didn't pan out, and and there was a powerlessness, and then walking on the streets of Manhattan and seeing all those pictures of the people who had. Their families were looking for them, and the grief that came up—it it just sort of made sense to me. Rather than being a victim of a terrorist, it's like, ah, if I see it as my foundation having been changed, where can I go with that? Mm. I don't know. That's how I I saw
1: it. Yeah, I love the the question of how can I how can I get to the point where I can find meaning in this. To me, personally, that brings me from a very tight place that feels almost like I'm holding my breath through it to an expansive, softening place and even curious. Like now I'm starting to look for ways that, hmm, what can I learn here? What is what is available for me to study and explore? And I find that in learning, I,
0: I get power. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm more empowered. I do not like feeling powerless.
1: Mm-hmm. And that goes hand in hand with trauma, powerlessness yes, totally, and trauma. totally,
0: totally. And I remember it was just a few days, this is a funny story, after 9-11, and I was in Manhattan and I got into a cab and the cab driver looked like Osama bin Laden. He had on the whole outfit, he had this long beard, he was obviously from some Arabic country. And I sat in the back and I thought, oh my God, he's gonna run me into a building. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then I said, calm down, Dana. And I, again, I just started talking to him. And in that connection, I found out from him, he was a young man who had come, I think, from Pakistan. And he was a Muslim, very devout Muslim. And all he wanted was a wife. And he was terrified because nobody in the city wanted anything to do with him. Hmm. So I connected with this man on a personal level. I overcame my fear by connecting with him and learning about him and change the state, my state, and I think his state. So he saw, you know, sort of a white New Yorker. He was able to see me differently and I was able to see him differently. And that transformed, it transformed my terror of being in the back of Osama bin Laden's cab. (laughs) And I'm sure his fear of, of who I was.
1: Sure, oh my gosh, yeah.
0: And so I, I got in the cab. And I said, "Okay, how can I how can I change my state? Let me just try talking to him." I just said hello.
1: Wow.
0: And then I asked him where he was from, mm-hmm. and it was just a gentle way of connecting. And and behind all of that was my brain saying, "Just keep him talking to him. He like, doesn't want you into a building." <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean, we were both two human beings with fear, and I think we left the the interaction both with less fear. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when I talk about be the change you want to see in the world, that's um, an example. It's so simple, but it's so powerful.
1: So powerful. And
0: he changed my life, and I'm assuming on some level I changed his. Because he would have a different viewpoint of the next New Yorker that he picked up.
1: Absolutely. And also, I imagine you brought, I would imagine that you would bring a a sense of hope that he might have felt hopeless and powerless and powerless to being judged and not seen. And by being seen as a human and interested in might be like,
0: oh. And he totally changed my viewpoint of in in that moment. It was just a few days after 9-11, my viewpoint of Muslims, of young Muslims, of dressed up in the outfit Muslims of Osama bin Laden it's like it, it put a humanity in it that allowed me to then let go of some of my cre- preconceived ideas and my own prejudices sure because when you get into fear you become all your prejudices rise up and when when your life is at stake i mean at that point we didn't know what was going to happen next we didn't even know what had happened right and it was a, a time of pure
1: fear right In so many levels. First, just acknowledging that what we have been through could be some trauma is so helpful. And then by digging a little deeper and asking, how can I find meaning in this experience? How can I find meaning through this trauma? How can I...
0: How can I see it differently? How can I find meaning by seeing it differently? How can I just shift my perception a little bit? Is there another
1: way... That will make me feel better. Right. And get to a place from feeling powerless to the trauma to feeling empowered in new learning, in new perceptions, in new clarity and connection.
0: And, and connection
1: inside of yourself.
0: Right, So so that you then change the connection internally that you have with the trauma that's manifesting in your physiology to a different kind of connection by some sort of resolution in your brain of seeing it differently. Gives you the power to just sort of relax.
1: Would that create like a new feedback loop?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Could you just
1: describe that a little bit? So I, I
0: see an internal feedback loop between my physiology and and my I guess in some level my beliefs or my anxiety and particularly with trauma How I see the world through these anxious eyes if I can change that connection internally if I can it literally changes the wiring and the chemicals that are released by changing how you see it and I don't, I don't know how to describe it, except that when this woman said to me, we've all had our foundation shaken, that sort of gave explanation to how I was feeling. So if your foundation is shaken, you're not standing steady. You're not upright. You're, you're not balanced. And that's, those were all things that I was feeling. And then it was like, oh, of course. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense to me in terms of how my state is. And when something makes sense, it tends to change your internal state. So the feedback loop of making sense out of something and seeing it in from a different perspective and perhaps more symbolically, gives you a physiological state change and you can give that to yourself. And for me, It's all about challenging internal old traumatic feedback loops so that I can then own my own physiology as opposed to being enthralled to states that are really old and don't apply right now, particularly with trauma.
1: Yeah. Well, and also I I was hearing through that process you're changing a feedback loop of feeling unsafe to creating a new feedback loop to feeling some element of safety.
0: And safety is so paramount in trauma and and after trauma. It has to do with feeling safe in your own physiology. And I remember this one little boy that I was working who was profoundly autistic. And I thought, how could he possibly feel safe in his own physiology? His behaviors are telling me he's not safe. Mm -hmm. So one of my goals was to have him learn what safety felt like so that his brain could own safety. Wow. So he internally experienced it so that he could then reproduce it. Right. Not that that it's being supplied from the outside.
1: And that right there is it sounds like the essence of using this model to help with trauma because especially in regards to reliving a certain scenario that might trigger or bring up trauma your body, your physiology, your experience, does not know what safety feels like in that in that place. So to create that new foundation for yourself, that new feedback loop of safety and power where there was none. And it's really important,
0: I'm adding something to this, it's really important to do it in the context of a relationship.
1: Hmm, describe that.
0: What do you mean by that? Well, as, as a trauma survivor, one does not feel safety does not feel safe in relationship to their own physiology. And so to start feeling safe, you need to experience safety in a relationship with somebody else so that you know what safety feels like.
1: Mm -hmm. Like what you created for that autistic boy. Yeah. Wow, thank you for this, Dana. This is so rich and so helpful. I think it could be really powerful for a lot of people. You're
0: welcome, my pleasure.